Welcome to Kelly Dry's Full Spectrum Podcast, bringing together thought leaders in the technology, media, and telecommunications industries to discuss legal issues that are expected to impact today's organizations and tomorrow's marketplace. Kelly Dry Full Spectrum is produced twice monthly, and show notes are available at www.kellydryfullspectrum.com. For more in-depth commentary, head to our blog, comlawmonitor.com. All links are in the show notes. This podcast is produced by the Kelly Dry Communications Practice Group. Hello, and welcome to Kelly Dry's Full Spectrum Podcast. I'm Jenny Wainwright, an associate in the Communications Practice Group at Kelly Dry and Warren. I'm joined in the studio by two of Kelly Dry's partners, Steve Augustino of the Communications Group and Elisa Hutnick of the Advertising and Privacy Information Security Groups. Today's podcast is the first in what will be a regular series on Full Spectrum to discuss noteworthy developments related to the Telephone Consumer Protection Act, or TCPA for short. These broadcasts will cover decisions from the FCC and federal courts, as well as any TCPA-related activity on Capitol Hill. Today, we're going to talk about a number of the FCC's recent declaratory rulings that establish carve-outs to the restrictions on telemarketing calls imposed by the TCPA. We will first discuss a pair of orders related to calls made by federal government contractors or for the purpose of collecting debts owed to the federal government. Next, we will delve into a third declaratory ruling issued this summer that loosened TCPA restrictions on calls placed by schools and utility companies. Finally, we will touch briefly on TCPA-related things to watch for over the next few months, both in court and on Capitol Hill. Let's jump right in and start with new rules that apply to calls made on behalf of the federal government. On July 5th, the FCC issued a declaratory ruling in which it determined that the TCPA, quote, does not apply to calls made by or on behalf of the federal government in the conduct of official government business, except when a call made by a contractor does not comply with the government's instructions, end quote. This ruling responded in part to petitions by two government contractors, both of which claimed that the TCPA contained certain ambiguities that left contractors vulnerable to potential liability under the statute, even though they were placing non-telemarketing calls on behalf of various government agencies. In the declaratory ruling, the commission found that calls of the type described in these petitions would not be subject to the TCPA, but emphasized that, Consistent with the Supreme Court's recent decision in Campbell-Ewald v. Gomez, quote, a call placed by a third-party agent will be immune from TCPA liability only where, one, the call was placed pursuant to authority that was validly conferred by the federal government, and two, the third party complied with the government's instructions and otherwise acted within the scope of his or her agency in accord with federal common law principles of agency, end quote. This decision, in part, was based on the definition of person under the TCPA, which does not expressly include the federal government. And therefore, in the FCC's view, the TCPA's prohibitions on auto-dialed and pre-recorded calls do not apply to federal government agencies. The FCC viewed this exemption for government contractors as, quote, practical, finding that it would be difficult and in some cases impossible for the government to engage in important activities on behalf of the public without the use of contractors making calls. I'd just like to add in here that this decision was not without controversy within the commission. In fact, three of the five commissioners issued separate statements regarding the item in which they raised unique concerns about the implications of the decision. Republican Commissioner Ajit Pai dissented in part from the ruling based on the commission's determination that federal contractors are not persons under the TCPA. 
According to Commissioner Pye, the commission's interpretation contradicts the plain meaning of the statute and suggested that the commission's decision unfairly grants special status to those contractors who have a relationship with the federal government. Commissioner Michael O'Reilly noted in his statement that while the order expressly exempts calls made by federal government contractors, the commission, quote, left unanswered whether state or local agencies may be subject to TCPA lawsuits, end quote. Finally, Commissioner Jessica Rosenworcel pointed out that the commission was, at the time, in the process of adopting rules to implement the government debt collection exemption to the TCPA enacted in 2015 and raised concerns that in this declaratory ruling, the commission was getting ahead of itself. I'm glad you raised that, Steve, as it segues nicely into the next important TCPA item that the FCC issued this summer. A month after the government contractor's order on August 2nd, the FCC adopted new rules to implement a TCPA exemption for calls related to government debt collection that was enacted as part of the Bipartisan Budget Agreement of 2015. Under the budget deal, Congress amended the TCPA so an auto-dialed call to a cell phone or residential telephone line is permitted even in the absence of prior express consent of the called party as long as the call is made for the purpose of collecting, quote, a debt owed to or guaranteed by the United States, end quote. This portion of the bill has proved controversial, and several efforts to overturn this provision were advanced by lawmakers who are concerned that this exemption will make it easier for debt collectors to harass anyone who holds government-backed debt, including students and veterans. The August order reflects the Commission's intent to minimize the scope of the exemption by laying out a number of limits on entities acting under the exemption. These include a rule that limits the number of federal debt collection calls to three calls within a 30-day period, unless a federal agency seeks a waiver. Consumers are also permitted to seek to stop federal debt collection calls at any time, and callers must inform consumers of their right to make such a request. And artificial voice and pre-recorded voice calls may not exceed 60 seconds, exclusive of any required disclosures. Calls covered under the exception are only permitted for debts that are delinquent at the time the call is made or debts that are at imminent risk of delinquency as a result of the terms of the operation of the loan program itself, and the U.S. must currently be the owner or guarantor of the debt. Pre-delinquency debt servicing calls are prohibited except for calls regarding an approaching deadline or change in status such as deferment, forbearance, or rehabilitation, calls regarding enrollment or re-enrollment in income-driven or income-based repayment plans, and calls regarding similar time-sensitive events or deadlines affecting the amount or timing of payments due. Entities seeking to avail themselves of this federal debt collection exemption are going to face some practical hurdles. First, they'll need to confirm that their calls actually fit within the four corners of the exemption, and that they have the records to support that exemption. And it's that last part often where companies can fall short. For example, they'd need to have the relevant records to demonstrate the purpose of the call campaign, the number of times a particular debtor is called at any of his or her telephone numbers, and the status of the debt at the time of the call. Because of the lack of precision on the exemption, companies will need to make a reasonable determination about the circumstances that demonstrate a debt is at, quote, imminent risk of delinquency, end quote, and if it's litigated, courts may well come out on different sides as to whether that exemption applies if the status of the debt is determined to not be at imminent risk of delinquency. The order also seems to be somewhat at odds with the Commission's previous declaratory ruling 
in which it found that government contractors are not subject to the TCPA at all. Commissioner Rosenworcel, despite voting in favor of the order, issued a concurring statement pointing out this discrepancy and noted that it could create confusion in TCPA enforcement actions going forward. So now we're going to shift gears a bit and talk about a third unrelated but still noteworthy TCPA order that the commission issued on August 4th. In this order, the commission, in response to two petitions, eased the TCPA restrictions on schools and utility companies to make auto-dialed calls and send automated texts in certain circumstances. The petition for schools came from Blackboard, which offers a service to send informational messages to families about instances such as weather-related school closures or threat situations. The petition for utilities was filed by the Edison Electric Institute and American Gas Association, seeking confirmation that utility companies can contact customers with auto-dialed or pre-recorded calls for a number of non-telemarketing purposes. The commission granted in part and denied in part the Blackboard petition, determining that auto-dialed calls to wireless numbers made necessary by a situation affecting the health and safety of students and faculty are made for an emergency purpose, while other informational calls, such as reminders of parent-teacher conferences, would not fall under the emergency purpose TCPA exception, and therefore would be subject to prior express consent requirements. Describing this consent, however, the commission stated that, quote, when a parent or guardian or student provides only their wireless number as a contact to a school, the scope of consent includes communications from the school closely related to the educational mission of the school or to official school activities absent instructions to the contrary from the party who provides the phone number. That last passage, Jenny, was interesting because it created some additional ambiguity related to the TCPA. Nothing in prior orders suggests that the consent analysis varies based upon whether the consumer provided only a wireless number or provided other contact numbers as well. But that provision there suggests that there might be a distinction. In fact, I would not be surprised to see plaintiff's attorneys seize upon this language in this order to try to narrow the consent rules that apply to cell phones. That's an interesting observation, Steve. As it did with allowing contractors to send messages on behalf of the government, the order also extends the emergency purpose exemption for school callers to third parties sending emergency messages as long as the messages are limited to the emergency at issue and do not include any marketing information. Commissioner Rosenworcel dissented from this portion of the decision, asserting that, quote, while perhaps unintended, this overbroad conclusion has the potential to become a gaping loophole that multiplies the number of unwanted robocalls consumers receive, end quote. In its discussion of the Edison Electric Institute and American Gas Association petition, the declaratory ruling similarly found that a customer's provision of his or her wireless phone number to a utility company constitutes consent to receive certain calls from that utility company about matters related to the service, including planned or unplanned service outages, updates about outages or restoration, payment problems, and reminders about demand response events. The order was clear, however, that, quote, the utility company will bear the burden of showing it obtained the necessary prior express consent, end quote. Additionally, unlike the Blackboard part of the decision, the commission did not address whether communications sent by utility companies to their customers would fall within the TCPA's emergency purpose exception. Beyond those orders, there's still a lot going on, particularly in the D.C. Circuit. For more on that, I'm going to turn the mic over to Steve. There are two important TCPA-related cases currently pending before the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. The first is a consolidated appeal 
that challenges the July 2015 omnibus order through which the FCC overhauled a number of its TCPA rules. The three issues on appeal are, one, the definition of an autodialer, two, the order's treatment of reassigned numbers, and three, the new rules on consumers' ability to revoke consent. The petitioners in the case argue that the FCC's interpretation of what equipment could constitute an autodialer is too expansive, and that the statute can only apply to the present capacity of equipment rather than potential future capacity. On reassigned numbers, the petitioners assert that called party must mean the call's intended recipient rather than the current subscriber, in particular since approximately 100,000 wireless numbers are reassigned daily, and there is no reliable way to identify subscribers to wireless numbers. Finally, the petitioners claim that the Commission created an unworkable and unreasonable regime governing revocation of consent by allowing consumers to revoke consent to receive autodialed calls at any time and through any reasonable means, and prohibiting callers from specifying the manner in which revocation may occur. Oral argument in this case is scheduled for October 19th. The second appeal relates to an October 2014 FCC order that ultimately granted a retroactive waiver of the Commission's fax advertisement rules to hundreds of entities. This appeal consists of two different sets of petitioners who have challenged the decision on opposite grounds. First, a group of plaintiffs whose junk faxing class action cases are currently pending in federal district courts appealed to the D.C. Circuit claiming that the FCC did not have authority to issue the waiver of its rules on a retroactive basis. Second, a group of waiver recipients, many of whom are defendants in the same junk fax class actions, challenged the 2014 order claiming that because the TCPA only explicitly covers unsolicited fax advertisements, the FCC exceeded its authority when it sought to regulate the content of solicited fax advertisements. And therefore, the opt-out provisions at issue are invalid. The D.C. Circuit has set oral argument in this case for November 8th. For both of these cases, oral argument will be closely watched. Both are important rulings affecting hundreds of cases that are in the courts now. Oral argument will provide the first opportunity to gauge where the FCC is vulnerable in its decisions and what principles are of concern to the judges. Thanks for that overview, Steve. I'm sure we'll have much to discuss about these cases on a future podcast. For our last topic today, we're going to touch on a couple of interesting recent TCPA policy and legislative initiatives. Elisa, can you tell us a bit about those? Sure. The big news from a policy perspective was the announcement last month of the creation of an industry robocall strike force. The strike force was created after Chairman Wheeler publicly called upon major telephone service providers to take a more active role in curbing the number of auto-dialed calls, or as the FCC calls them, robocalls, that are placed to consumers' home and mobile phones. The goal of the strike force is to develop comprehensive solutions to prevent, detect, and filter these calls. AT&T Chairman Randall Stevenson will serve as chair of the group, which consists of more than 30 telephone service providers, equipment manufacturers, and others. The strike force has committed to meet at least twice weekly and will report back to the commission with initial proposed solutions by October 19. 
This comes after, of course, activity by a sister agency, the Federal Trade Commission, which last year held several contests intended to boost technology inventions to detect and block illegal robocalls and to help identify where they originate. The strike force is an example of the FCC's efforts to strong-arm the wireless industry into taking a more proactive role in TCPA matters. For example, earlier this summer, the FCC, for the first time, expressly sanctioned the use of call-blocking technologies by telephone service providers and encouraged phone companies to offer them to their subscribers free of charge. These latest actions suggest that the chairman, at least, is frustrated with the slow pace of introduction of these technologies. As far as the strike force, another question is what happens after its proposals are developed. The FCC will still need to adopt rules to effectuate any proposals it wishes to carry forward, but can only do so after first seeking public comment on them. To me, the primary takeaway from the existence of this group is the FCC's high-profile involvement in it. Chairman Wheeler has a limited amount of time before the election and before the customary turnover that occurs after an election. And it appears that he's intent upon driving the introduction of blocking technologies in the wireless industry before he leaves. TCPA-related issues have also been a hot topic lately on Capitol Hill. Members of Congress, including Senators Claire McCaskill of Missouri, Chuck Schumer from New York, Ed Markey from Massachusetts, and Representative Anna Eshoo and others in the House have called for action regarding auto-dialed calls. Earlier this year, for example, Congresswoman Jackie Speer of California introduced the, quote, repeated objectionable bothering of consumers on phones and, quote, or RoboCop Act, which would require telephone service providers to offer call-blocking technology. And in June, Senator Schumer announced that he would introduce a companion bill in the Senate. It's unclear how far this legislation will get this year, however, calendar, as Steve noted, for a number of reasons, is busy with budget negotiations, high-profile issues, and before long, representatives will be returning to the campaign trail. I think that wraps up our discussion for today, but I'm sure many of these topics will remain ripe for future podcasts, and we look forward to sharing our thoughts on our next update. I'd like to thank Steve and Elisa for their time today. And before we go, I want to encourage our listeners to take a moment and complete our survey linked in the description. We're trying to learn a bit more about our audience and how we can make this podcast as useful to you as possible. Until next time, thank you for listening. The views and ideas expressed on this program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views or ideas held by Kelly Dry and Warren LLP, its staff or management.